You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Hello and welcome to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter podcast with Gareth Hall and of course the one and the only, the captain, Guy Moldcaster. We're recording this on a Wednesday morning, the 11th of October, 2023. Guy Moldcaster, good morning to you. What a what a time to be alive. How are you? I am well, mate. Um, Everest week, Caulfield Guineas week. If you had to choose a destination this Saturday, where would you like to be? Well, I'm I'm actually just a little bit tired last night because I watched the uh, barrier draw for the Everest and I thought it was a Gareth Hall birthday party <laughs> with the light of the celebration going on. Well, I don't mind something a little bit different. The Everest is... Everest is a new race. It's it was designed to innovate racing, and you have to have a barrier draw with a with a difference when you're you're having a race like an Everest, don't you, guy? Oh, I thought it was very very well done. Uh, it was pretty uh, the light show and everything was pretty amazing, and I think most of the best horses probably drew drew to um, give themselves a pretty good chance in the race. Don't you love uh, the people out there that say uh, the barrier draw behind closed doors and then they announce it four or five hours later um, with that light show? And um, it was interesting to see, um, like, people can't understand why can't they just do the barrier draw live there in front of everyone, guy. But, I, I, t- I like, it's impossible to do a light show like that without knowing the barriers. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it, it was it was very well done. It came across amazingly, and uh, I think it, I think it's going to be a hell of a race come Saturday. So the the Barry draw, I was um, I mentioned this last night on the SEN social media platforms. The big winner for mine was Cylinder Barry number four, Shinzo Barry number six, and Think About It and Barry number five. And the big losers, well, the big loser for mine was I Wish I Win Barry number one. Like, I think he might get buried back on the inside. Now, it could be a good barrier after all. He, he follows out Overpass, who will lead the race. What do you make of I Wish I Win's barrier? I think it comes down to you wouldn't really think he's going to be able to hold the back of Overpass, would you? No, that would be that would be a surprise if he could if he could do that. Because he was three back the fence from an inside gate in a Memsey over 1,400. Yeah, so, you know, like if he happens to be four pegs, it makes it bloody hard, doesn't it? Yeah, well, he'll need a miracle. Well, he has been a miracle horse before. He has. Um, and, he, and he can get himself out of trouble. He's proven that before. He'll just need a good ride from Luke Nolan. And then, yep. and then you've got... It's an interesting race this year because there's only there's only one horse that we all know that likes to race on the pace in a way, and that's Overpass. Now, he's drawn low, which hurts the race in the early part because he just jumps and leads, where if he had a, a wider gate, you'd have to come across and the others would have to come around with him. But now, I don't know if there'll be any tempo in the early part. For $20 million, there'll be plenty of tempo. So what happens then? Who goes forward and puts that tempo into that contest? Um, Cylinder goes forward to some degree and Secret comes across from wide out. Uh, I don't think... I don't think... Uh, think about it's going to be that far away and then yep. Private Eye's probably just going to keep out of his way a little bit. So the, the SB owners and the I Wish I Wins, they're going to have to come from a reasonably far back yep. position, the question is, are there going to be that many horses slowing down for them to be able to weave their way through? Yeah, that is that. I don't think, I I, th- I think I wish I wins in trouble. I've always thought he was in trouble even before the barrier draw because I just think that the way that the Everest is set up this, this year, it's going to make his job a lot harder because he's a horse that will be getting back and trying to finish over the top of them. And Eduardo and Nature's Trip were perfect horses for him when he was competing over the six furlongs. But now with no no genuine tempo in a race like the Everest, and I know you say that they race for $20 million, but Eduardo and Nature's Trip would break break open the field in a way with their racing tempo. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. And they did. And 
and they did tend to overdo it on yeah. some occasions, and it did seem to leave it basically for a last man standing. Yeah. So it's going to be a great race. It still hasn't got the best horse in Australasia in, in Paratree. She's staying in Melbourne. So still looking forward to what, a, what unfolds there on on Saturday afternoon. I think the best part about the Everest guy, and we've had a chat about this, is that the race within the race in a way that we've been talking about the Everest basically for 11 months and trying to work out which slot holders going where, what deal are they doing? And uh, I, I think that's nearly the best part about the Everest, the race before well, the race. Well, I'm, I was just surprised you said Imperatrice could be just about the best horse in Australasia because I've heard that you've been down there all week with your little West Australian flag with the yep. Amelia's Jewel down at track work and helping hose her down after the, after she's had a workout, and <laughs> giving Friday a little towel yeah. and everything. It's been a huge week for you, Gareth. It's been unbelievable, Guy. Um, in fact, she's the best sprinter, I should say, in Australasia. The best horse is Amelia's Jewel. So thank you for allowing me to correct myself. Simon Miller, he's about to join us on Giddy Up this morning with Jack Jenkins, the UFC fighter for the Wednesday debate. And um, he's doing the rounds, actually, at SEN. I think he's going on our breakfast show this morning as well. So we've got to finish this podcast by in the next 20-odd so minutes. So I've got to go and meet him for a coffee just to make sure he's nice and relaxed and ready to go, but she's exciting guy. Amelia's jewel. She'll win the Turak and then she'll win the golden Eagle. I thought she'd come down and take on the big, the big guns at the uh, Cox plate. No, I don't think I, I thought like it's been an interesting build up with her and especially the discussion with the Cox plate. Peter Walsh is such a nice person who, who owns her and he doesn't like to disappoint people. So I think Walsh, when the Sydney media ring him, he says, oh, I'm definitely going to the Golden Eagle. And then when the Melbourne media ring Walsh, oh, probably, yeah, we're still leaning towards the Cox Plate, he says. But I think at the end of the day, Damien Lane has a big influence on where she goes. And I'm thinking that she's going to win the Turak and then she'll, she'll head to Sydney for the Golden Eagle. Well, if that's the case, Gareth, the Golden Eagle's probably going to take a little bit of shine off the Cox Plate because... That yeah. is some field this year. It's a terrific field. Like Legato, I thought, was pretty good there in New Zealand the other day in the Matamata Cup. Then you've got the four-year-olds as well from the international four-year-olds. Um, you've got the Japanese galloper that's a fascinating horse. But I think Amelia's Jewel deserves a start favourite there, Guy. I think she's definitely the horse to beat. Your thoughts? Well, you know, two runs in Melbourne have been terrific so far. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's see what unfolds over the next little while. It's going to be good. But, you know, your man Walshy, why wouldn't he bring Amelia's Jewel back to Melbourne for the last day of the carnival and let her take on the real big guns? Do you know what? I, I'd love him to do that, but he doesn't want to overtax her. So she's only had ever like three to four runs in a preparation. And I think he wants to get her home, freshen her up. She might be aimed at the quokka um, in the autumn. And for some reason, and I don't know why, well, I do know why, but while she fell in love with Dubai and um, he wants to go to Dubai in March with her. Yeah, well, if she ran down the straight there, it'd be pretty, pretty, pretty good race for her because they're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's about... Like you can't, I don't know why Walsh would love Dubai. He must get looked after there. So um, he wants to go yeah. there. And then I think if he, if he got an invitation to Royal Ascot, because it's not about the money for him, it's about the prestige and the honour. I think he would go to Royal Ascot. And the good thing with Royal Ascot is he gets half a dozen tickets. So little Gareth gets a little gallop in there and barrier two. I, I think there's more hanger honours than me. I think I've definitely missed out. Um, no. guy, but I'll be there for fun. Just having a look at the uh, the Everest market there, and not the Everest, the Golden Eagle market. Amelia's Jewel four fifty, Legado six dollars, Omburamite six dollars. The Japanese Galloper Y five oh eight fifty, Yellow Brick thirteen. Your horse Age of Kings at fifteen dollars. Your thoughts there? Uh, he's been good in quarantine. He's 
going to come out of quarantine on Saturday and probably have a trial next week. So I think that'll tell us a little bit more. But his European form's pretty good, so um, I think he's got a good chance. How good's Legato? It's, she's a daughter of Pricea. She won the Matamata Cup there on the weekend. That was an easier option than going to an Arrowfield because oh, she probably would have won the Arrowfield, but it was a heavy track, so they didn't want to risk her on that surface so early in her preparation. But she's exciting, the Australian Guineas winner guy. Yeah, I think her run in the Australian Guineas with Mickey Dearboard was pretty well, uh, gave her a pretty big tick. And I think uh, she's come up pretty well. Her trainer's pretty quiet sort of bloke, and uh, he just kept her at home winning at Matter Matter the other day. But, uh, yeah, she's she's pretty talented. What about Gold Trip? Now, he's some horse. When you think about Gold Trip, he's the son of Outstrip. He's a European galloper and started off his career in Europe. He finished fourth in Arc de Triomphe. He only had won one race, and he was still a top weight for a Melbourne Cup, which is extraordinary in itself. And he won that Melbourne Cup. And that was his second victory, and then he won the Turnbull Stakes to make it victory number three. And he won like Farlack guy. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was scratching my head last week why Zara wasn't riding Ossipenko, and then I saw a gold trip absolutely <laughs> kick their brain. Like, and I was under no illusions, yes. but I had an interesting story. I went to Flemington on Saturday, Gareth. Thanks for the invite. You, you lost my number. And, and it was 13 degrees. Freezing. And I put all my good gear on and I put a lovely jacket on over the top and I walked into the members and thought it was amazing. You know, I was looking to have a really good day and then I walked, walked outside again and had to catch up with a bloke and I went to walk back in again and the lady in the nice purple jacket came over to me and said, do you realise you haven't got a suit jacket on under that coat? I said, well, it's 13 degrees. She said, if you haven't got a suit jacket, you don't come in the members at at Flemington, so you can go home now. Serious? Yep. What kind of suit jacket did you? What kind of jacket did you have on? Oh, it was a it was a big coat. It was it was done right up to the neck. You couldn't even see the tie, so you couldn't see if there wasn't a jacket underneath or anything. Well, you have to be smarter than that guy and get through the gates without anyone seeing that you don't have a jacket on. But didn't they? Didn't you do this one? Like, don't you know who I am? Yeah, well, when you're speaking to those people, it doesn't matter what you tell them, they're not going to renege. Well, I wish I was with you because I could have, I reckon we could have got around it, guy. Reckon if you were with me, you would have laughed your head yeah, off. Yeah, I would have. I wish someone was with you and took some footage of it. That would have been, that would have made my day. Um, yeah. So you never got to see uh, the horses race? No, I didn't. That was it. So what last... you, you went home straight after that. Was turfed out, yeah. <laughs> oh, I could just imagine you with your short temper. Oh, you would have been rapeable, and that poor Uber driver that picked you up. <laughs> oh, anyway, say, so did you watch Gold Trip on TV? Like, yeah, they're going to go. I, I love this from the Mara Nuisance team and Australian Bloodstock. So they're going to they're going to go Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, and Melbourne Cup. Why not? I think he did all of them last year, didn't Correct, he? Correct, he did. And he was sensational and, in all three. Yeah, he had the handbrake on twice. Correct. Yep. Yeah. He got held up in a Cox plate. It was one of Jamie Spencer's great rides. And that was probably the perfect track gallop in the lead up towards the Melbourne Cup. But for mine, so if he wins the Caulfield Cup, he'll get penalised. And I don't think he should be penalised for winning a Caulfield Cup. I think that to make the Caulfield Cup stronger, they've got to make that exempt from being re-handicapped. Um, but he'll probably, if he wins the Caulfield Cup, he has to be re-handicapped now for a Melbourne Cup. So I think if he wins the Caulfield Cup, he'll go to Cox Plate and then he'll go to the Champion Stakes. He won't go to the Melbourne Cup. Oh, I think you've seen how much joy they've had out of that Melbourne Cup the last 12 months. I'm sure they'd love to have another one, Gareth. Well, they sold the Cup for 800000 didn't they? Because like, there's a big group of owners in it. They had an auction for the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Neil Werrett bought it. Yeah. There's some big owners in that horse, um, Gold Trip. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's exciting. What would you make of the Hong Kong Galloper? I know you've been putting the brakes on him, and you might be right, Romantic Warrior. 
Uh, he was satisfactory. Yes. He probably, he probably, he did look a little bit burly. He probably over raced a little bit, and I thought he, I thought he uh, held on pretty well to the line. Uh, natural improvement, yes, but quality of opposition improves as well. Yep. So he's got a little bit to do, Romantic Warrior. J-Mac was, he had that, like, you know, he's such a competitor and that steely look in his eyes after he was interviewed after the race because he knew the knockers would be coming. And I love how Mac has come out and defended that horse. And um, he made he made a couple of good points. And I think Michael Kent Jr. made these points as well, that the horse didn't have much work before he even came out to Australia. He missed a trial because of the storm there. Um so, yeah, there's got to be improvement in him, but he needs to improve. Um, Monophilia was good. She deserved that victory in the $2 million Hill Stakes, worth $2 million. Work that out. The Hill Stakes was worth $2 million and the Turnbull was worth 750000 Yeah, uh, I thought I thought both Monophilia and, and the horse from the Waterhouse Bot Stable, who my, uh, were both very, very good. Uh, Waterhouse horse looked home, but uh, in Nash, typical Nash fashion, he managed to just get her out and point her at the winning post, and she just went bang. No, she was very good, um, and she's a very good horse when a race like that pans out for her like that. So well done to Mr. Zhang and Yulong, because they spent a lot of money for her, but they would have got a bit back there winning that $2 million hill stakes. We'll take a quick break on the other side of it. We'll come back with plenty more. We want to have a chat about Bodyguard, this $1.6 million son of I'm Invincible, who was so impressive down the straight there at Flemington on Saturday. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. You're listening to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter podcast with Gareth Hall and the captain, Guy Moldcaster. Guy, did you look at Bodyguard, the $1.6 million son of I'm Invincible, who, Jesus, he was impressive down that straight there at Flemington in the Meribyrnong trial there last Saturday. You would have been there to see that race surely before you got kicked out. That was the one race I was there for, <laughs> Gareth. And I managed to see Bodyguard in the mounting yard. Yes. I remember as a yearling, and he's very uh, strong individual and um, – he looks to have furnished magnificently. The race didn't really go to plan for him. He sort of got chopped out there at half time, but he, he got himself back in a good position. He was way too good for them. He was a horse when you listen to the connections and Craig Williams that um, he's got the looks, but he's got the attitude to go with it. He's got a wonderful character, which is half the battle yeah. with these Colts. Yeah, but remember, we're still only in early October. The Golden Slipper's not till March, you know. I know. Why does everybody get excited then? Oh, I suppose it's something to talk about, isn't it? Yeah. And he was one of three stake winners for, of course, this side that keeps on doing what only he can do in a way I'm invincible. Yeah, they've, um, they've come out of the gates running this season like they do every season. And, um, I mean, both two-year-old races so far look good for the boys in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and I'm sure there's some good ones to come out in the next few weeks. I don't know what we're going to do with Jacko because he was like, he, he would walk in Jackson France, the producer of the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast. He loves his racing. And he, we all know we've, we've been following his story. Um, about the Blue Point filly that he's bred, and he's been watching Blue Point dominate the Northern, Northern Hemisphere, but he's, he's had a tough couple of weeks, Guy. A couple yeah, of favourites by Blue Point going down. Yeah, I think he's sort of like that boxer that came from Kalgoorlie and he ventured down to Perth and he got a couple of good clips around the air and he's going to have to get off the deck and fight back, but maybe yes. he might be better off position back at Northern for a few weeks. <laughs> Oh, it's been, and like, I think so there's a few emails having a crack at poor old Jacko as well. And Jacko, like I said, well, you put yourself out there, Jacko. This is the world that we live in. But hopefully Blue Point can bounce back in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, geez, Kings, well, Gareth, yeah. you know, this is what happens is the marketing tool that is, you know, the first season size, 
when the horses have winners internationally, they just keep loading them up, bang, 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 bang. But as soon as you have your first runner in Australia, nobody cares what happens in the Northern Hemisphere anymore. No. And so Jackson's, Jackson's 41 winners in Europe are worth zero. <laughs> and his zero for two here are basically deciding his fate at the sales <laughs> next year. Don't, don't tell him that guy. <laughs> I've got to live with him. Um, it's only early on the season, Jacko. You can bounce back. What about um, talking about Vinny? Geez, King's Gambit, he's a bit like you. He's got so much ability, but very headstrong. And you have to take him to the races every day just to calm him down, they tell me. Um, but, you know, he, he's got plenty of ability. And that was uh, the, the jockey's got out of Tommy Berry's way there as well in the Roman Consort. He blew the yeah, whistle. I think uh, Osmosis was probably a, fr a fraction disappointing. Celestial Legend managed to get into traffic problems again. Yes. And King's Gambit got the got the money. But um those horses will all come together in the Coolmore in, in about three weeks' time when you and I are at Flemington Gareth yes. and we've got all those accreditations to get us through the gates. Yep. So I've got I'll, we'll be looking we'll be looking forward to a good Coolmore that day. Do you reckon Strat and Angel that Philly can be competitive, this daughter of Harry Angel in in the Coolmore after she won the Dane Hill against the uh, against a few of the boys there on Saturday at Flemington? Yeah, I thought she was good, but I did think a few others failed in that race as well. Yeah. And the Phillies so, have got a good record at Coolmore. Yeah. Well, uh, Sunlight was the winner of the Coolmore. Yeah. In secret? Can't in secret, yeah. Well, there you go. There's two in the last five or six years. So um, I'm sure that Philly has got a good chance. But, I mean, when it's a stallion-making race, it sort of takes the gloss away a little bit if Philly wins it. Well, talking about sunlight, what about our brother, Kandinsky Abstract? He doesn't seem yeah. interested. Yeah, he uh, he doesn't really – he's not really focusing himself at the moment, Garrett. No. Which which is a uh, big problem, and uh, it'll be quite threatening for him. Yes. So he might need to have a talk about that to one of those ladies with the green jacket then when he arrives at Flemington just to fire him up. Um, well, you you just walk a bucket past him and he gets a bit scared. Oh, does he? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what about the three-year-old staying prospects like Sardozzi? Geez, Cadolphin had done a good job with this daughter of Kingman. She didn't look like she like she was in tougher races, I know, with her first two starts, this preparation. She still didn't get she didn't see daylight there at Sandown. And then James and Reggie Fleming come together, quick back up, and she head she heads to a, a group to Edward Manifold and she wins like a really good horse that might be hard to beat in an Oaks. Yeah, question is, so, Gareth, with a filly like that, do they keep the handbrake on and run her in the guineas at the end of the season? No, Oaks. Is that what they've said, is it? Yeah, the VRC Oaks has been her plan from the from the get-go. They believe that okay. she's an Oaks filly. Because we, yep. we, we took $21 on Giddy Up, and I think because James mentioned that to us at the start of the spring, and then she drifted a little bit, and now she's second favourite, so... Um, well, I hope they don't change their mind, but I think they've been pretty adamant that she's definitely their Oaks filly. Oh, well, $21, 21's in. You should be pretty right then. I wish I got Why didn't you tell me the mail from your mate Chris Waller with Riff Rocket, this American pharaoh uh, cult that was so impressive. Like he was 50-1 well, before the superimpose for the yeah. derby. His run behind Snowman was quite good the other day in Sydney, but he came down there and just smashed him like the other, you know, last Saturday. James gave him a perfect ride and he, and he opened up in the straight. So it'll be interesting to see. I think there'll be a few more Derby contenders in the next couple of weeks, though. So is that a case where he's just improved coming down to Melbourne and the race experience and it's clicked for a three-year-old? Or horses like Snowman, do you think that are better than him and – the three-year-olds in Melbourne that he bashed up weren't as good as, like, the Sydney three-year-olds are better. But in saying that, 
His last furlong was the quickest of the meeting. Yeah. But, I mean, um, I think to run the quickest quickest furlong, you have to be in the right spot as well. And I think I thought that was, you know, the rails was quite beneficial there on Saturday for the early part of the meeting. And uh, Wayne joins me from my means test show and giddy up, and he had a big smile on his face, and he's a tight-ass weight. Um, but I worked out why, because they've got that share in that schnitzel cult. I should say that schnitzel filly Macarena that the Hawks family own. Um, and she was pretty impressive there. I thought there on Saturday and the tap Craig worth a half a million dollars. Yeah. Put the writing on the wall of the previous time at, at Canterbury when nothing went right and it just still smashed them. So she's obviously a, a very talented filly going forward. And I'm sure the Hawks is all place her to benefit and, uh, and she'll be make a bloody good broodmare for them one day. We'll take a quick break on the Breeding Bloodstock and Banner podcast with the one and the only, the captain, Guy Molcaster, for this week's edition. We'll take a break and we'll come back with plenty more straight after this. You're listening to Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Welcome back to the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast uh, with Gareth Hall, the captain. Um, always with us as well. Um, but he had to go a little bit too early this morning because he's got too many commitments, he tells us. But we had a chat about your um, – Sebastian Hartz joins us from Inglis, the GM of Inglis, of course. Um, first of all, hello to you, Sebastian. Thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm sad Guy's not here. He normally brings a bit of entertainment. Yeah, he does. I'm sure he's doing – he does a lot of important things, Guy, so I'm sure he's doing something yeah. important this morning. Now, he made a really good point with the, the ready-to-race sale and especially – your sale, um, and he said, Gareth, that you just got to take into consideration here on Australia when you have a look at your stats, for instance, from yesterday. And I don't know if you'd be you'd be pleased with them or not, but he he said to us um, just before that it's it's a difficult market, the ready to race sale in this country now because of the prize money. So if you've got a good horse that's been working up nicely and you think it's going to make it then you think twice about putting it into a ready-to-race sale because you're racing for $100,000 now for, for maidens, basically. Um, would you agree with his comments there? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of factors. I mean, mainly the people in our ready-to-race sale are traders. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm on a farm, so... That's all right, mate. Just couldn't pass me if you can't hear me. But um, a, lo- a lot of the people uh, offering to the sale are traders. Not all of them, but a lot are traders. So the majority of them are motivated to sell but what we found certainly what we found yesterday was that some of the people who had horses they just really liked and the market wasn't prepared to meet their valuation of the horses and they said listen as you said with the prize money and with the on-sale market for race horses whether it's domestically or internationally they were prepared to take their chances on the race course i'm like good luck to them i mean like what we want to do is, and we want to continue to try and do, is to progress the format, continue to have more and more good graduates out of the sale. Like, we had a bunch of horses yesterday that we feel pretty confident go on to be good race horses, whether it's overseas or in Australia. And, like, we have had a spring where Democracy Manifest is unlucky not to win. An Epsom, he's a graduate of the sale. Libertad's a very smart three-year-old. Uh, again, a graduate of the sale. We have her dad going to the Guineas on Saturday. He's a graduate of the sale. You know, there are a bunch of nice horses out of the sale running around, particularly in Australia. And that's what we want to see. And we want to try and continue to build that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the clearance yesterday wasn't at the level that we would like it to be. I mean, traditionally, clearance through that sale format isn't comparable to a yearling sale or a weanling sale or a broodmare sale. You know, vetting is a big factor and can inhibit the sale of some horses. And it's not a select sale. So you do end up with a percentage of horses that just don't whether it's pedigree or breeze or physique, they just don't meet the mark for what buyers are looking for. Um, but look, there were some great results out of it. Uh, we've, I mean, there are a bunch of horses that didn't sell yesterday that have already been sold today mm-hmm. and the clearance rate will keep clicking up. Um, you know, pretty hopeful that we can get it up at, up past 60% or up around 60%, which under the circumstances, is probably an acceptable outcome. It's not quite the level that we were hoping to get to. But, you know, ultimately, we had a strong buying bench, particularly at the top end. There were lots of people looking to try and buy high-end horses. Maybe there wasn't uh, the nature of demand through the middle and lower parts of the market that we would have liked, but 
plenty of positives to take out of it. So Blake Ryan Racing, this is what he does, um, get gets horses ready for these type of sales. He had a pretty handy sale and he, he was able to sell the top lot, that son of capitalist, for $400,000. So the stories for you from yesterday? Oh, look, the big thing, the thing that's really interesting for us about this format of sale is there are a number of horse people who've used it as a platform to launch good careers themselves. You know, maybe don't, maybe aren't in the position to get support from major owners or big owners. So they go into the ready to run market to demonstrate their ability to yeah. develop young racehorses and have proven themselves to be very good at it. And Blake is a very good example of that. You know, he started off with a small little draft. I think his first ready to race there was five or six years ago. He started off with a very small little draft. And now he's a fully fledged trainer at Hawkesbury. He's got 25 boxes at Hawkesbury. He does, still does a ready to run draft. He's very good at it. People like doing business with him. He's a personable guy. They respect his opinion. He sold you know, a number of nice horses. I think he had a very good horse through his hands a couple of years ago. The name of the horse escapes me, but a uh, horse that looked like a really promising horse at the moment. His winners to runners ratio is good. But there are a number of guys like him. I mean, there's a guy, Rob Quinn, who has some boxes at Warwick Farm. He had a very small draft for the sale last year. He sold a horse to Bob Peters, who's now unbeaten in two starts in Perth for Bob. Uh, and Bob came back and supported his draft again this year. Uh, there's a young trainer, Wagga, called Daryl Burnett. You know, really competent guy. Had some excellent results yesterday with horses. He was trading himself. Um, even a guy, I mean, one of the best results yesterday was a guy called Peter Moffat. You know, Peter's you know, closely enough affiliated with Tal Nolan, who's an expert in this field, so Libertad, etc. Peter uh, has been doing breeze ups, I think, for three or four years and doing well without quite hitting the bullseye. And Peter just had an unmerciful day yesterday. He just had the most fantastic result. I mean, he and his wife, I think, I, think, I don't know what Peter would mind me saying this, but I think his wife was on the verge of tears yeah. in the back of the box yesterday with what a fantastic set of results they had. And I think he, he summed it up best. He said, results or days like he had yesterday can be life-changing for a guy like him. And, you know, they're, you know, they're some of the major positives to come out of the day. It's, it's really, when you can deliver results like that for people, it's really excellent. And I think Blake Ryan's a perfect example for anybody involved in racing. And you'd love to see racing in a way, like have a college and, 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 teach trainers and we had a chat to Mitch Beer about this and how he went to the country, but to learn from the business perspective, you can get into bloodstock and have a business on the side there if you're a trainer as well. But, um, sometimes you need to make your own luck in life and it looks like Blake and a few of those, um, um, terrific horsemen that you just mentioned that sometimes you just got to work out. So you love this game, you love this sport, but it's going to be hard for me to make money as a trainer. So where can I um, find a niche in the market to still be involved in the game, but make a really good living? And these, these, the, the people that you just mentioned, you can make a good living because obviously there's a lot of demand for this type of work, especially, and it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in. If you're very good at something, then you're going to get rewarded. Yeah. I mean, the, the auction house makes significant investment in, um, a lot of these people and helping them develop their business, develop their profiles, ready to run um, vendors as people who have an ability to identify young athletes and develop them into racehorses and good racehorses of the future. And, you know, we get great satisfaction out of seeing that investment. Well, how would I put it? I don't want to say reap dividends. It's not about reaping a dividend, but see that investment, um, ultimately generate a positive outcome in that you know you, you see good young horse people being given a platform to express themselves people like Blake and any number of people who are participating in the format um, and it's it's a great way for those people to advertise themselves and I, I don't think there's any doubt that there are a number of people who we'll see particularly amongst the younger horse people who are ready to race vendors today or breeze up vendors that will ultimately end up being you know, fully fledged, whether it's country trainers, provincial trainers, metropolitan trainers, but, you know, they're the trainers of the future and it's a great springboard, this sale format. And there's obviously the, the ready to race sale done and dusted for another year, but um, we're in the middle of spring. 
but the sale season is just around the corner. And before you know it, um, we'll be selling horses once again. And you're busy, I would imagine, trying to organize your catalog for all of your sales. Yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot. We, I think we'd have, we tried to tell you the other day, I think we've inspected near on 4,500 horses to this yeah. point from, you know, mid to late July through to now. Uh, we'll finalize the classic sale catalog in mid November and then premiere in December and then Easter in January. But the support we're getting is really excellent. There are lots of cool horses out there. Competition for those horses is, is fierce. So we're trying to get mm. we're trying to get as many good horses for the sale as we can, and obviously racing's in full swing. It's great to see you know so many good races, so many competitive races, big fields. You know, starting to see more two-year-old races at this time of the year, or the two-year-old racing starting this time of the year. It's always fascinating to see how the younger stallions perform. You know, interesting to see how the horses with first crop three-year-olds, whether it's the Autumn Sun, Trapeze Artist, written by. Justify, Brave, Smash, Harry Angel, that strong crop of horses with first three-year-olds, how they're progressing through the spring and into the autumn and, you know, whether they're horses that are capable of making up into the leading stallions of the future. It's a, it's a, you never stop learning in this game and this is a particularly informative time of the year. Well, you've got, you've got Wings's first fall sell, um, to be sold at your sale. So you've done a pretty good job with you negotiating and um, getting, getting horses to your sale so far. I think that might get you a little bit of publicity. As always, Sebastian, we appreciate your time, mate, and enjoy whatever you're doing today. It sounds like fun. Then I'll go on. I appreciate it, Gareth. There we'll we chat to you again soon. He's a star. There's Sebastian Hutch there, the GM for Inglis. We'll take a quick break on the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast. On, uh, Of course, we're recording this on uh, this Wednesday morning. We'll come back with plenty more straight after this. You're listening to Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Welcome back to the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast. Gareth Hall with you. And uh, let's head to New Zealand to catch up with our friends from New Zealand Bloodstock. One of their main men is Kane Jones, and he joins us now. G'day, Kane. Thanks for your time, mate. Yeah, absolutely, Gareth. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. We've got the New Zealand Bloodstock ready to run sale not far away. In fact, the breeze ups are just around the corner, mate. Um, it's an exciting time because. This is a very popular sale, and it's popular because the results speak for themselves. Um, what are you looking forward to most when these horses breeze up next week? Oh, like, like you said, they breeze up Monday and Tuesday, and uh, we've got about 380-odd uh, horses to breeze over those two days. So a, a big two days at Tirapa on the turf. Um, like most people, just seeing how they, um, how they handle the occasion, um, uh, we just like to see them uh, breeze up and, uh, with a good action and, and see how they do it. And, and um, we do pay attention to time, but more importantly, we like to see them doing it nice and easily with a, uh, a nice big uh, smooth action. I think if we all had the recipe for success, it would be a lot easy, but, uh, a lot easier. But I guess the the, the ready for run sales, uh, you need a you need a, a trained eye in a way, and you need to understand the the caper. But I think people are getting better, and I. I I reckon the vendors, in a way, have changed their philosophy with the ready-for-run sales these days. It's not, as you just pointed out, Kane. It's not. It's not all about time. And what NZB do as well, better than anyone, is they provide a lot of information for the buyers out there. You're right. It's an incredibly transparent sale, and uh, there's information um, aplenty um, at every step of the way. We. Uh, we, we film these horses, we time them. We, we even film them prior to breezing up in the parade ring so you can see how they're, how they're behaving, how they um, parade and how they're handling the occasion. Um, film their breeze up, time it. Uh, we've even got a, a wind uh, gauge to see which way the wind's going and if that affects them at all. Uh, right through to all the information that the vendors and, and, um, and sellers provide um, leading up to the sale as well. There's a lot of media and um, they often provide heights and weights and, and a lot of uh, photos and videos and all sorts of information. So um, it's an extremely transparent sale and, and one that uh, people from uh, all our major jurisdictions love to buy it. It's a sale that changes lives because you've got a horse like Mr. Brightside that's delivering one hell of a ride for a big group of owners here in Australia. You've Lucky Swain S, um, Golden 60, um, You've also got horse like a Kovalika. Um, so there's there's some terrific 
um, gallopers that have come out of this sale. I don't think the Kovalika come out of the ready for run. He was a yearling, wasn't he? But his half is going around in the ready for run. But this is a sale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you named a few horses there. Um, Golden 60 and Lucky Swainess are the, are the real um, superstars up in Hong Kong. Mr. Brightside has just been a phenomenon. Uh, winning over $9 million in stakes so far. Um, you, you forgot to mention Sharp and Smart, New Zealand's yes. uh, reigning horse of the year. And, and Dunkel as well, just recently, he won the, uh, the the Group 1 South Australian Derby last season. But uh, but to answer your question, Kobalika, he was a uh, he was a Karaka yearling sale purchase. So um, is there any particular lots that you think that will be high in demand that you're really looking forward to seeing Breeze up there next week? There is. There's, uh, there's, there's quality right across the board, but there's a few real standouts. And, and we have mentioned Kovalika already. And uh, there's, a, there's a half-sister to Kovalika by Super Seth, who's, uh, who's just had his first winner yeah. uh, over the weekend. And um, she'll be offered by Kilgrave and Lodge. She's a, a, a very valuable filly and, a, and one with a hell of a lot of residual value already. And looking forward to seeing her breeze. Um, and then another one of note is the uh, contributor half-brother to Lucky Swainess. So um, uh, ranked one of the world's best sprinters, Lucky Swainess, and a, um, a brother to him is going to be very, very well sought after. So how do we watch these breeze-ups, mate, Can, if we're in Australia or all New Zealand for that matter and you can't get to Tarapa next Monday and Tuesday, how do you go about um, watching these, uh, these breeze-ups? Yep, they'll, they'll, like I said, they'll all be filmed. Um, the breeze-up clips will be available um, very, very um, soon after the after the breeze-ups, uh, hopefully later that week, I think. Um, and then they'll be played on uh, on various channels um, in Australia and in New Zealand and on our website. So uh, nzb.co.nz is probably the best place to go to, uh, to have a look at them. Can't wait, mate. We're probably another weekend and it'll be another weekend where a New Zealand bred horse takes out one of our big races. It's been the norm of recent times, especially the last 12 to 18 months. We appreciate your time, Kane, and good luck next week, mate. Thanks, Gareth. All the best. There's Kane Jones. Thanks to New Zealand Bloodstock. We'll take a quick break here on the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast, and we'll come back and wrap it all up straight after this. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the Captain. Welcome back to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the Captain, Guy Moldcaster and Gareth Hall. Uh, I'm getting excited. Simon Miller's just arrived, um, guys. So have you met Simon before? I've met Simon before. I can't believe you're still going on with the radio show, Gareth. I thought you would have dropped everything and no. been dead wrong. Carpet for the... You're more, being of, you're more important, mate. Um, just quickly, I'm about to catch up with Seb Hutch a little later on for this podcast, but what did you make of the ready-to-race sale, which was held this week by Inglis? Numbers suggest it was down a little bit. Um, the gross there was $10.4 million, down from $16.7 million. A capitalist cult was the top lot for $400,000. Blake Ryan had a pretty handy sale. He sold 14 of his 18 horses that he offered um, for a total of 1.9 million. So what did you make of the sale guy? Oh, it's, it's a tough thing, Gareth, in yeah. Australia. When you're running for such good prize money, it's hard to get vendors to part with their horses, and that's why they had a 51% clearance rate. But uh, I think looking forward, we've got the New Zealand ready-to-run sale in about uh, a month's time, and I'm sure you'll be able to come over with us, Gareth. We can do the show from New Zealand a couple of days, and uh, I'll take you and show you around the viaduct. Yeah, well, I think we, we've got Jack Jenkins, who's our USC fighter, who loves his racing. I think that we're going to try and find one. I, 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 we've put in our order with you, Guy. Um, Kovalika's got a half that we're looking at, so we'll see yeah, what we can I, find. I've seen, her, I've seen her twice before, and I haven't wanted to buy her so far, Gareth, right, so I don't think we'll have a look at her. But I met Jack Jenkins the other day. He's a really good bloke, and he's pretty keen on his racing. He is. He is. Um you just don't want to mess with him because he can fight, but he's he's one of those gentle giants where he's the nicest bloke that you'll ever meet, and he loves his racing, and then you watch him get into that, what do they call it, Jacko? The octagon, and he becomes like a, he's a beast. He just wants to kill them. So, um, yeah, so he wants to follow you around, so we'll definitely do that in New Zealand um, for the Caracas sales or even for the the 
the ready to run sale. So looking forward to that. Who wins the Everest? Uh, two open for mine, but I'm more interested in Melbourne. So who wins the Caulfield Guineas? Militarise. Yes. Oh, I then think he'll win. The alligator going around, he'll be just sampling a bit of uh, do you reckon the cannon alli- fodder again. Alligator beats just fine, do you think? Oh, definitely. One's a weight for age horse, one's been okay at, yeah. at handicap. Millie's jewel won't get beat in the... Uh, free money, more money heading back to the west. Yes. Um, King Charles. I think Too hard what, yeah. moment. And there's a silver eagle, but... Um, and the Cozy Oscar, you wouldn't know too much about the Cozy Oscar because you, you don't really associate with the battlers these days, do you, Guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if Brett Cap got one in there, he'll be hard to beat. Yeah, no, he yeah. yeah, he hasn't got one in there. <laughs> Jacko, welcome. Morning, Gareth. Morning, Captain. How are you going? Geez, you've been copping a lot of heat with these blue points. Yeah, I had an email come through from Tom, who's a loyal listener of ours, and said he loves the show and loves what you and the captain are doing. And yeah, he's mentioned that they're going poorly. We've had Scampi and Blue Illusion Garner at the odds on, but I'm not panicking yet. He's only had three runners so far. There's plenty more to step out, and I'm sure they'll fly the flag for him. What about in that Tats sale there recently in the UK where Sheikh Mohammed rocks up and walks the grounds there, guy? Um, geez, yeah. If you're a vendor, <laughs> you'd have your ears pricked. I tell you what, imagine, imagine poor old Sheikh Mohammed if he's got Jackson annoying the shit out of him all day at Tats. <laughs> yeah. Can I have... So can people go up and talk to him? What, what's, the, what's the situation there? I th- Well, you know what? I think probably no, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't, like, but he's walking the grounds like a normal person, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. No, but he, you don't just, you don't just go rocking up to him and ask him if he's got a couple of handy or something for you, you know? <laughs> so you can't walk up to him and go, excuse me, Sheikh. Can I have an interview for bringing Buttstock and Banter? Well, you know, he's had a few, he's had a few little buddy. Uh, no, he, do, he just doesn't. People just don't go wandering up to him and start chatting or asking what he's got in the next the new market. <laughs> you know? I would, I would definitely, I would say, hey, mate, you know, big fan, I'm a big fan, mate. Um, work for SM. We actually had your horse, Kementari, for the Quokka. <laughs> he's actually. He's actually got a few bodyguards hidden in the crowd there, Gareth. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. No, I know he listens to Giddy Up in this podcast. So he's probably listening to it now. So we say hello to, to Sheikh Mohammed. Jacko, um, did Sheikh Mohammed give a question this week? Or? Well, so this one sort of is a bit related to Sheikh Mohammed and is about Blue Point. You mentioned the email. So we're giving me a little bit of stick, but this one's from Tom Captain. And he says, is there an explanation as to why a lot of sires work in the Northern Hemisphere, but not in the Southern Hemisphere? And this is obviously off the back of seeing an odds on blue point run poorly again for the second week in a row. Um, I think you need to wait till you've seen 20 run before you start making any assertions. Um, those Both those blue points obviously showed heaps of talent at home. And that will that will come through into results on the racetrack. If they're up and going and they're sound early and they've turned up both as, as odds-on favourites, I'm sure when more of them come out, he's going to have plenty of winners. Tom sent another question through, and this one's pretty long-winded, so just bear with me. Um, he says, did the Everest slot holders go too early? Every man and his dog could see King's Gambit was probably the most talented sprinting three-year-old of his crop as long as he learned to settle. He blown away his rivals in the stallion-making race field of the Roman console, but went to water in the yard in the slipper, where he sat three wide and ran third to Cylinder and Shinzo, both who have ever slots. In a race with where there is certainly speed on, he struggles to think as to why no one took the chance. Your thoughts? Because he's not ready. Um, hard one, hard one, really, Jackson, because the people at, close to that horse had slots, and if they wanted the horse, they would have used their horse. Mm-hmm. Whereas Newgate went out and got another horse, and uh, James Heron, who's close to that stable, got another horse in um, in Cylinder and that. So I think um, your loyal listener probably should leave it to the experts. Yeah. I think because if you listen to Paul Snowden, 
that they had to take that horse to the races nearly every day because he was off his head just to teach him to settle when he heads to the races. So he's a project horse and um, they believe that if they, if they went to an Everest with, what's that song they sing at the Everest? Um, sweet um, Caroline. Yeah, Sweet Caroline. With 60,000 people or 40 odd thousand people singing Sweet Caroline, King's Gambit wouldn't appreciate it too much just yet. <laughs> so that's why he's not quite ready for that. Maybe next year. So that's the two questions from our listeners this week. And if you do want to get in touch with your questions for the captain, just send me an email on jackson.frans, F-R-A-N-T-Z at au. And further to that, Captain, I just had a quick follow-up question for myself. You and Gareth touched on the ready-to-race sales and the clearance rate of 51% was obviously a little bit of a concern down from 77% last year. Um, so should we be concerned moving forward to the sales season with the yearlings next year kicking off in January? No, because yearling sales are for end users and ready-to-race sales are for people at smaller jurisdictions who want to buy a horse that's already had their work done on it. So I don't think that has any bearing on the yearling sales at all. Now, Jacko, he's becoming quite the – the he, he, he's a very modest young man. He purchased – how much did you purchase that Rubik horse for? Yeah, so Philip Stokes and Rick Connolly, um, we got together and bought a filly from – the Magic Million sales last year in Adelaide paid 42500 for the daughter of Rubik. And, yeah, she was really impressive winning at Morpeville. Um, very closely related to Royal Merchant as well. So her sister is the dam of Royal Merchant. So you so. found her at the sale? I didn't personally. Philip oh, Stokes' go. team did. They picked her out. But I syndicated 100% of her well to done, a Jacko. group of friends. And, yeah, she's really promising. So um, hopefully she can win her next start and potentially make her way over to Melbourne in time. Do you know what Jacko's doing? Guy, this is what you should do. I've, I've been doing a little bit as well. Um, manifestation, where you, you 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 build up the positive energy with the, um, your your remembering your future, and he's just he's he's becoming he's becoming Bob Peters at the moment. Yeah, well, that's really good because, like, I thought he'd be waiting for eleven o'clock for the acceptances this morning to see which blue point's going to be cannon fodder on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hey, um, make sure you, I'll bring your jacket. We're gonna, I'll, I'll bring the jacket um, for you so you can get into Flemington during the carnival, guy. Um, I'll make sure I tell the Steve Rossage and the boys just, you know, go easy on my man, guy Molecaster. He's a hey, well, thanks, Gareth. Don't don't worry, Jackson. The winner's just around the corner, and uh, you send my regards to Stephen Miller. Who's the captain? Who's the captain's pick? <laughs> Who's the captain's pick? Alligator blood. All right, then. So that's the Breeding and Bloodstock and Banter podcast for another week with the captain, Guy Moldcast. I'm Gareth Hall. Thanks for your company. Have a wonderful week. Back plenty of winners. And uh, we'll catch you next week.